great time. Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation primarily today, but we will use a few other versions as well. If you're watching online, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope that you've engaged with us in our worship service, that you're feeling God even right where you are. And I want you to know that you're a part of Triumph. Wherever you may be gathered, be in an airport, in a hotel room, maybe you're at work, maybe you're at home today, maybe you're in the hospital today, but I believe that God wants to do something great in your life. So stay engaged. Tell the kids it's time to sit down and be quiet. Uh, Grab your cup of coffee, if you will, and get ready to receive from the power of the Word of God today. Grab your Bible with me and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Are you there, Triumph? Okay, are you ready to go this morning? I'm pumped up. We're going to have a good time. Here we go. We're going to start in verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. Everybody say, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, but when you are tempted, He will show you a way out, say a way out, out. so that you can endure. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come here and to worship you, to lift up your name, to call you great. Lord, I know, I, I know that you want to help your people today. You want to touch us. You want to speak to us. You want to get involved in our life. You want to meet us right in the very places that we struggle today. You're here to offer help, God, and I love you for that. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, amen, amen. Amen. I've been in a series, and I'm going to kind of recap part one for you and then go from there. If you'd like to hear it, I highly encourage to get on our app, and you can go to Nederland or Beaumont's page and download part one. But I'm talking about this idea that what the enemy tries to do to us is he tries to box us in in our lives. He tries to contain us, to make us feel like we are stuck and there is no way out except to do what he is telling us to do. When I was a kid, my aunt and uncle had one of those uh, conversion vans Remember when those first came out? They were like the first vehicle that had VCRs and TVs in them that you could watch when you were driving. I was telling my kids this the other day, and first question they had was, what was a VCR? (laughs) And the second question they was, what do you mean? Y'all didn't have phones that you could watch videos on? No, you actually had to talk to each other. You had to play little games when you were driving down the road, like, uh, you know, see who could get the most license plates from different states. Slug bug. How many of you played slug bug when you were growing up? Fantastic. Ah, yellow. <laughs> that was good stuff. I always loved to hit my dad right as he was, you know, in traffic and just, bam, I thought it was really funny. Didn't realize we might die. But <laughs> so we had this con- uh, conversion van. It was green. And I always loved, we traveled a lot together going to Vicksburg, Mississippi or Greenville, Mississippi, where my mom's side of the family is from. And we would go for family reunions and we would go for Thanksgiving. We went several times a year. I always loved to ride with them. They had a TV and in the back, the back seat, you hit that little button and it folded down into a couch. Oh, it was fantastic. You could sleep. You could have full on wrestling matches back there. It was great. One of the games that we loved, so put yourself in this van with me. There, there were, there's a two front seats, two captain's chairs in the middle, and then in the back was the bench that folded out into a couch. So we devised this game of torture, and you would actually lay down uh, perpendicular to the van behind the captain's chairs up against the base of the couch. And then your evil cousin would push the button and fold the couch down flat, which butted all the way up against the chairs. Now you're locked in and you can't get out. (laughs) 
Isn't it amazing how your, your toes never itch until you can't itch them? And so the whole game was lock yourself in and see who could make it the longest without losing their minds. Everybody's laughing just like you. And then you start to breathe a little heavy and you start to think, I really need to like bend my knees. You can't bend your knees. I really need to roll over. I can't roll over. You are in a coffin. I'm very claustrophobic. I never won at this game. Even now, like my heart is racing just thinking about being locked in because here's what I knew. I love my cousin. He might be watching online. He lives in New York. He, he watches every week. I, I loved him, but he was just mean enough and old enough that he would leave me there and get out and go into McDonald's. And I would just be panicked. And he never actually did it to me, but there was always the thought that I know he might because he's done this kind of thing in other areas, right? And I might do it to my little sister too. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I might, I might. And I'm so claustrophobic. Have you seen these uh, escape rooms? I don't know if you've seen those where you go in with some friends and you have to uh, figure out the clues in order to find the key and get, get yourself out. I really, I'm intrigued by this and I want to try it, but I have to go with the right people. Because you can only have one person in the group that is allowed to lose their minds and freak out, and I need that to be me. <laughs> So, so if any of you are claustrophobic like I am, we're not going in the escape room together. But because I need to be the one to just totally lose my mind. But I really want to try it, and yet I'm scared to death all at the same time. Now, here's the thing: all we had to do was say the word, and they would push that button, and the and the back seat would open up, and you could get out. You were totally fine. You were going to be okay. But in my mind, it felt like we were stuck. And that's what the devil wants to do to you as it relates to temptation and sin in your life. He wants to box you in and put you in a place where you think the only way out is to commit the sin and do the act or say the words or go to the place or, or do the thing or whatever it might be. The only way out is his way out. But here's what Paul wrote to us. He said, God is faithful. And no matter how boxed in you seem, he always makes a way out for you. I don't care what the devil says. There is always a way out. So I want to encourage you today. Temptation faces all of us. We all face temptation. And if you don't think you face temptation, listen to the first words of Paul. If you think yourself strong, be careful you don't fall. Because we all face temptations. I don't know what the temptation is in your life. It could be the temptation to give in to an addiction. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be uh, pornography. It could be watching the wrong things on TV, going to the wrong places on the internet. It, it could be a temptation to overspend or overeat or lie or gossip. Some, sometimes we need to resist the temptation to get, off, get on social media because we call it checking on people. But what we're really doing is getting the dirt on people. Look where they went. Look what she's wearing. Can you believe it? calls herself a Christian. I'm calling her pastor. Sin. Because temptations hit, hit us in all different ways. Four truths about temptations. Number one is this. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Read this verse with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Do we have that ready? While they're getting it, I'll just, I'll just explain it to you like this. The enemy wants to convince you that once you've been tempted, you've already sinned. You're already guilty. This is not the case. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, here's what it tell us, tells us. That Jesus, our high priest, our Savior, when he came to this earth, he was tempted in every way that man is tempted. So was Jesus tempted? Of course he was, but he goes on to say, and yet he did not sin. So if being tempted is a sin, then that would mean that Jesus sinned, 
And Jesus then would have not qualified to be the Lamb of God sacrificed for all the sins of the world. For Jesus himself would have needed a sacrifice to cover his sin. But the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. Why is this important? Because what the enemy is trying to do is this. Imagine with me for just a moment. Temptation happens here. Sin happens next when we give on, give in. There is a brief moment of fulfillment and satisfaction after the sin, followed quickly by the guilt and the shame. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen this morning? Let's not all act like we're saved here today and everything is, you know... And so understand the process, the temptation, then the sin, a brief satisfaction, and then the guilt and the shame. Here's what the enemy is trying to do. He wants you to live in the guilt and the shame. And so if he can convince you that once you've been tempted, you've already been, you've already sinned, he can go ahead and put on you the guilt and the shame long before you commit the sin. Now we're standing in temptation, we're feeling guilt and we're feeling shame because we think we've already done it. What do we do? Well, if I'm going to feel this way, I might as well get the brief satisfaction. I might as well go ahead and sin. So he tries to move the consequences of the action long before we ever commit it just to convince us to commit the sin. But the Bible says that Jesus got here. He was tempted, but he never went to the next step. He never sinned. So Jesus, when he went to the cross, he didn't bear the guilt and shame of his sin. He bared bore the guilt and the shame of my sin. You tracking with me? Number one, it is not a sin to be tempted and do not let the devil lie to you and tell you as such. Number two, well, let me just give it to you like this. Let me give it to you like this. I love donuts. I really like, like, I love Krispy Kremes when they come out hot, but I love all donuts. I'm really, I am not prejudiced when it comes to donuts. I eat the expensive ones. I'll eat the ones that have been in the, at the H-E-B deal for like three days. I don't even care. I love donuts. There's a donut shop down the, at the corner right by our house. And oftentimes when we're running late, we have to stop. I tried to stop this morning. I was starving. And they were closed for a family emergency. I got really upset. Then I decided to pray really hard. They needed to get back to work. So, Lord, intervene. I go in here pretty regularly, and I'm building a relationship with the, with the guy that works there. And he needs Jesus, and, and uh, so we're, we're working on the building a relationship, and I can't, I can't wait to introduce him to Jesus. And so I go in there, and every day, he's like, you want the usual? I'm like, yeah, I want the usual. So for, I don't know how long this store's been open, three years, the usual has been a jalapeno kolache and two chocolate-covered donuts, and I like to balance it with a water. Okay? <laughs> it's all about balance in my life, you see? So I kid you not, I have been doing this for years. But donuts are not my friend. I love donuts. They don't love me. They tend to stick in certain areas. And, and, my, and suddenly my pants start to shrink and my shirt start to shrink. It's a problem. I kid you not, about two months ago, I haven't said anything. I've been going in for the same guy saying the usual for years. Jalapeno kolache, two chocolate-covered donuts, and a bottle of water. Suddenly... He started giving me one chocolate-covered donut. When the donut guy cuts you off from donuts, you might have a problem. When I walk in the store, he did. He may not know Jesus, but he heard God for me. <laughs> When you walk in, when I walk into the donut store and I see the donuts, I want all of them. I want that one and that one and this one and this one. I can smell them. Can you smell the sugar when you go in? It's, all, it's so good. I'm getting hungry right now. You can smell it. I am thinking about it and I am tempted. Let me ask you a question. If all I do is look at it and smell it, is that donut going to hurt me? No. I pick it up. I don't know if I've sinned yet. If I, 
lick, lick my fingers just a little bit. I don't know if I've sinned yet. I don't, I, but when I put it in my mouth and I eat it, then I committed the sin. And what's going to happen is the sugar is going to go to straight to places I don't want it to go to. I'm going to have to go try to burn it off. It's going to take me like seven hours on the treadmill for one donut. But I never am going to face the negative results until I actually intake it. I know we're just talking about donuts, but, but this is real life. What the enemy is, he's trying to convince you that once you see the donut, you think about eating the donut, you've already gotten bigger, so you might as well eat the donut. <laughs> Number two, you are never above temptation. It doesn't matter who you are, you are never above temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. Listen, I have a pretty good rule in my life that if Jesus did something, if it was important enough for Jesus to do it, I might should try it. And if Jesus faced something, I better get ready because I might have to face something similar. Jesus went to his cross and he told me to pick up my cross. You're going to face temptation in your life. There's no getting around it. You're just going to have to figure out how to take the way out when God offers it. Uh, you are never above temptation. Think about it like this. When the tide is low, a boat comes into the harbor and he can see the rocks sticking up and he avoids them. But when the tide is high, he thinks everything is okay. He comes in and underneath the, the same rocks that he could see in his low tide or in his weakness and go around it in his high tide or in his confidence in the areas of his strength when he thinks he has it all under control, that's when those underwater rocks will break his ship and cause him to sink. You're never above temptation. Number three, God will never tempt you. God will never tempt you. God will test you, but he will not tempt you. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15, you can go read it on your own. He talks about this. He says that God will never tempt you. He says it very clearly. God will never tempt you. You see, temptation is the idea. It has a negative context. It's trying to pull you back. It's trying to pull you down. It's trying to pull you away other than to Christ. He's not trying to get you to pass and move forward towards God. He's trying, temptation is trying to pull you off track of where God wants you to go. God will never tempt you. If you are facing a temptation in your, in your life, it is not from God. God tests us. What's the idea of a test? The idea of a test is to help us to pass, to graduate, to get stronger, to have more knowledge and understanding. God wants to lift you up while the enemy wants to bring you down. God will never tempt you. Number four, there is always a way out. It doesn't matter what the enemy tries to tell you. There is always a way out. Here's the thing, though. I drive a lot. I drive up and down the highway a lot, back and forth to Houston, between all of our campuses. I spend a lot of time in my truck. You've been in traffic before. You, you live in a big city. You'll understand this. You're driving along. You're in one of the right-hand lanes, and you see up ahead traffic stopping for some reason. And here's an exit. And you have that instantaneous decision to make. Do I think I can get through that traffic or should I take the exit and try to get around it? Y'all know that split-second decision? People start weaving across traffic trying to get, I'm getting out of here. And they, and they take across four other accidents behind them, but they got their exit. It's the same way with God. You see temptation coming. There's going to be an exit there, but God won't force you to take the exit. You have to take the way out. So he always provides it, but we have to take it. So now I want to pick up today and, and I want to dive further into this subject. Are y'all doing all right? See, here's the, the process of temptation, the process of temptation. It looks like this. It starts with thought, starts with thought. You, you, you have a thought about something. I wonder what that donut would taste like. Number two, it turns to imagination. You start to imagining, you imagine yourself partaking. Number three, it turns to justification. Now you start justifying why you deserve or why you should or why it's okay for you to do what you know you shouldn't be doing. Number four, you make a choice, often a small choice. Instead of taking the exit, I'm going to try to go through it. And then finally, we come into sin. Now, I said to you that I love all types of donuts, and I do. Uh, I, I love all types of donuts, um, and 
But I really love the Krispy Kremes. Right? When the, when the, you know when they come right off of the hot rack as it comes through? Oh, my Jesus. Is anybody feeling the Holy Ghost right now? I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. So I was talking to my church about this a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking about how much I just I love Krispy Kremes. And so that next, that night, I was here with you. We had this great service here with Pastor Phil. And the next morning, I got up at like five, 4 o'clock in the morning, and I drove to a dad, my father and I have a deer lease in Fredericksburg. So I'm coming through San Antonio. I stopped and had me some McDonald's. Ten minutes later, my wife calls. She had just got the kids on the bus. She's calling to see how I'm doing. We're chatting. She says, where are you? I say, I'm coming into San Antonio on the loop. She says, you're stopping at Krispy Kreme, aren't you? Thought. I wasn't hungry. I had just ate a sausage, egg, and cheese biscuit. Had my uh, hash brown, balanced it with a bottle of water. I'm kidding about that. It's not a balance. I don't know. Some of you are like, that's good dieting words right there. No, it's not. No. I'm not hungry, but suddenly she puts the thought of Krispy Kreme in my mind. And I'm like, Lindsay, I'm not even hungry. I'm, not, I'm just really not even hungry. But you know what? Then I start imagining. I wonder if that hot sign is on right now. I haven't had a Krispy Kreme in a long time. Then I start justifying. I'm going to be working hard out in the hot sun all day. I'll work all these calories off. I can afford it right now. I'm driving all this way by myself. I'm doing all my work, all of dad's work, all my brother-in-law's work. I'm doing everyone's work. I deserve Krispy Kremes. Then I make a choice. I'm just going to pull off and see if the hot sign is on. My truck was already going that way. I pull in, of course, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. The hot sign is on, right? So I pull in. I said, well, now I'm just going to go in, and I'm just going to smell around a little bit. <laughs> so I walk up to the counter. This is a true story. I walk up to the counter, and I'm thinking all about this whole message, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? My church, what would they say right now? But they're not here. And so... I say to the lady, I think I want some donuts. She said, how about I get you a sample? And she turns around and she walks to the rack that's coming out and she goes all the way. And she doesn't like go to the middle of the rack or the counter where they've been sitting at. She waits for the next one to come out of the oven. It felt like forever. In my mind, I'm like, don't do it, Randon. Don't do it, Randon. Don't do it, Randon. And she said, and she pulls it out and she sticks it in one of those things and it is dripping from that stuff. And she brings it to me and I have, and now I have it in my hand. <laughs> and I took a bite. Seven donuts later. I am driving down the highway. Even, I had to lean my seat back. I couldn't even sit straight up anymore. <laughs> to lean the seat back. Had to put on the little old person uh, thing to help your lumbar support. I was carrying too much donut around. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I'm <laughs> it started with a thought. And I am, I am telling you right up, I am throwing my wife under the bus. Right under the bus. I was doing fine. I wasn't even thinking about it. And she said, you're stopping for Krispy Kremes, aren't you? I wasn't hungry. <laughs> then it went to imagination. Then it turned to justification. I made one small decision. I could have kept on rolling. But instead, I chose to get off the highway, walk into there, and it was downhill from there. I posted on Facebook. I tried. I thought my church will come to my rescue. You know what they were saying to me? It's all right, Pastor Randon. Make sure you have it with a cold, cold cup of milk. It makes them go down better. <laughs> it's all right, Pastor Randon. You deserve Get you a whole dozen. They'll eat all day long. Wait a minute. You're supposed to be helping me, the people of God. But this is the way the enemy works. It's funny when we're talking about donuts, but, but what happens when you, when you have that thought, you're watching TV and you have that thought about that girl or about that guy or some scene that you shouldn't have watched and then you start imagining yourself in the scene with that person and, and so then you start to justify, well, my wife never does this or my husband never takes me to that nice Mexican restaurant Pastor Randy was talking about earlier. They never do anything. We start to justify and then we make a choice. Well, let me just get my computer out for just a moment. Uh -oh. Come 
Let me just see what pops up if I make a quick search. And the next thing you know, we are full blown into our sin. You have a problem with overspending. You're, you've sat down as a family. You've prayed about it. You're going through a life team to help you get out of debt. You know you shouldn't be spending money. But you were watching on TV and you saw that dress on sale at the mall. And quickly from the thought, you started to imagine yourself, ladies. I would look good. My husband might take me on a date in that dress. I could wear it to church on Sunday to worship the Lord. We start justifying. I'm always doing things for my kids. I'm always putting my husband first. I'm always helping everybody. I haven't had anything new. I need, I deserve this. I should, in, this would be a great investment. And then we make that choice. I'm just going to swing by the mall on my lunch break and see. I just to see if they have it. And wouldn't you know, just like the devil, they have it in your size and it's on sale. Now, you have no choice. You have to buy it because I'm saving you money. I'm saving my family money. And so we go home with the dress. Is buying yourself a new outfit innately wrong no but when you're trying to put God first and get out of debt and you know what your family's trying to do here's it pulls you off track and then we have to come back to God and say God rescue me again because I'm broke again and he's saying I was trying stay away from the Galleria first colony mall don't even go to Ross and TJ Maxx I know that I'm getting real today, but Bishop's out of town, and when the cats are away, the mice will play. We've got to decide ahead of time how we should fight, because what happens in those critical moments of temptation is more important than we can even imagine. If we don't have a game plan going in, we can move from thought to sin in a matter of seconds. Here's what James told us to do in James chapter 4, verse 7. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the NIV version says it like this. Maybe in your New King James you read it like this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we want to fight the enemy and we want to endure and we want to take that way out, we have to know how to fight. And the first way we fight is to, admit, to submit to God. God. We've got to submit to God. What we're doing when we submit to God is we are putting God back in his rightful place in our life. As we go through our daily lives, we come in on Sunday, we put God first, we say he's our king and he's our Lord. When you say God is Lord, that means he is Lord of all because he is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And so we come in and we're putting God in the rightful place as Lord and ruler and in charge of our lives. But then as we go through the week, we get busy and we stop talking to God, not because we don't love him, but we, get to, we end up doing things our way and going our direction. And if we're not careful, we end up moving God out of the first place and moving life and our stuff into the first place. And so when we submit to God, it is the action of saying, God, I am putting you back in your rightful place. Submitting is the idea of kneeling down before God and submitting your Yourself or submitting your will or submitting your life to his mercy and his plans. So the first thing we have to do is submit ourselves to God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Specifically here he's talking about you cannot serve God and money but principally here he's saying you can't serve two things. You cannot serve two gods. You cannot serve the God of this world, the God of your own desires, the God of your own ways, the God of your own flesh, the God of money. You, you cannot serve them and serve God because you will love the one and hate the other. You'll despise one of them. Now we, we read this and we say, well, if I am loving the world, that means I'm despising God. And I don't want to despise God. 
I love God with all of my heart. How many of you can agree with that? So the bad news is if we fall in love with the world and we start to serve the world, we end up bringing God down. But here's the good news. If we can make the daily, sometimes hourly decision to continue to put God in that first place, here's what will happen. If we love God, we'll despise the world. We often think of it in the negative context. If we love the world, we'll despise God. But understand, if we could more and more fall in love with Jesus and submit ourselves to God every day, every moment, then we will start, our attention and our focus will be on Him and we will start to hate the things of the world. doesn't mean you don't want to enjoy your life. It just means the desires of your flesh will be pressed down as the desires of God are lifted up in your life. So we have to submit ourselves to God before we do anything else. Submission to God reduces the vulnerability, uh, vulnerable, uh, vern, we're going to say that again, the vulnerability to temptation. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction the, of the, at the cost of obedience to God. Anything in our life that promises satisfaction but pulls us away from what God is saying for us to do, that's a temptation. I said to you a moment ago, it's not innately wrong for you to want to buy a new outfit. But if God is telling you to do something else and you go to the mall, then it becomes a temptation and it becomes a sin. Because disobeying God is, uh, is, is sin in your life. Disobedience to the word of God. It just, we get caught up on the big ones, right? Lust and pornography and, and uh, fornication and adultery and, and, and all that stuff. But there's so many other ways that we can be pulled away from God. Anything that pulls you, that, that promises satisfaction apart from or at the cost of obedience to God, that is sin. It's taking God out of the first place and putting other things into that place. You were designed to rely upon God and receive total satisfaction and love and everything you need from God. We have to submit ourselves to God. Then he goes on and he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But resisting the devil without submission to God is as futile as trying to fight a lion without a weapon. He says he's like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, the enemy. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now listen, I've spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, and, and in both in Africa and all over this country. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm not afraid of any of it as long as I have my rifle. But I'm not trying to face a lion with my bare hands. I am not Samson. I, I will die. You will be mourning my death, seeing me on the news, because I can't handle it. But if you give me the right weapons, I can take on anything. And this is the truth of God's word. And, 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 and having a relationship with him, you can handle that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour as long as you have the weapons that God has promised you in your life. Don't go fighting on your own. You've got to realize that there is a bigger power at work in your life. That, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You got time for one quick story? Yes, I, I've played a lot of um, competition, slow-pitch softball in my life. And uh, so I'm, I play church league now. I'm, I'm, I'm 35 as of yesterday, and it takes too many braces to play the upper-level uh, softball. So I play church league now. But for, for many years, I played travel ball, and we played a lot of competitions, a lot of tournaments. And on Tuesday nights, I played in a league in our area that was the best teams from all over. And, and all these weekend players would come and, and play on Tuesday nights. Now, there was a lot of – you had competition – heat, unsaved people, lots of testosterone, quite a few steroids, and guys getting there starting drinking about two hours before the game. It was, let's just put it this way. There were a lot of opportunities for witnessing. The cops were always there. People were always trying to fight. Not me. I was there shedding the love of Jesus. <laughs> so this one day I was playing and I, I, a friend of mine, his name is Heavy, and he's like 6'5", he's about 340, solid muscle. I mean, he just his calves are this big around. I mean, he's just, he is a big man. His name is Heavy. That's what everyone knows him by. He is a big, bad man. Super nice. 
but I wouldn't want to mess with him. I'm just like, yes, sir, you know, and so he was on my team. Well, one day we, we got into a situation. I was short a player. It was like 20 minutes before the game started. I had to call somebody. No one could come. I finally called a friend of mine. He was a little guy. He was about this tall, and he might have made, weighed a buck 30, you know, sopping wet. He, he was okay. It probably wasn't great, but he came out there, you know, and I, I needed a player. So he comes out, but he had a mouth on him. So here we go. We're in the middle of the game. It's like the second game. Everybody's hot. It's intense. We're playing another team. We've played a lot of times. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of words being said. Well, the pitcher, I'm standing on third base, and the pitcher starts jawing with my little friend. And they're going back and forth. Now, the pitcher's, you know, he's trying to be a thug. He's trying to be gangster, you know. And so, and I mean, literally, he looks a little crazy. So I'm not going to mess with him either. Like, I know my skills, and that fighting is not one of them. And so this guy, they're mouthing back and forth, and my friend comes out of the, the, the third base dugout, or the first base dugout, and he's, he's, you know, acting all tough like he's going to do something. And this pitcher turns and starts walking towards him. And I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. I'm going to have to intervene. The pastor's going to be on the news, breaking up a fight, got hit. Then I'm going to end up throwing a punch just because everyone else is doing it. It's going to be bad. And all these scenes are going through my mind, right? Bloody noses. How am I going to explain this to my wife? This is all going on. And here's my, here's my friend, and he's... I'm telling you he's this high and he's just just like he's a UFC fighter or something like he is mouthing and this pitcher's coming at him he's walking and they get about 20 foot away from each other and suddenly the pitcher stops he starts backing up and he says you just need to keep your mouth shut and he, I'm going back out here and my friend he's like yeah that's what I thought yeah See, I told him, you know, like, like, you know, like this little white boy, you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> he couldn't see what I could see and what the pitcher could see. Because about the time that pitcher was coming towards him, my friend was standing right outside the door of the first base dugout, mouthing. What he didn't know was my friend Heavy had walked out of the dugout and was standing behind him, and it looked like a giant bear. <laughs> And everyone knew you don't mess with heavy. And when he saw him, that pitcher said, never mind. My little friend's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heavy didn't even say a word. He just walked up behind him. You may be the little guy in your life. And the devil might be, seem like a big, bad lion. But when God walks out behind you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I need to keep moving. Y'all are killing me. Y'all are killing me. Y'all learning anything today? Okay. Uh, we've got to resist the devil. We have weapons. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Human reasoning, what the world thinks, what the world calls good and acceptable and normal. False argument, those lies of the enemy, the lies we tell ourselves to justify the sin. We have weapons to fight with, and they have divine power, according to the New, New International Version. What are some practical weapons? What are some practical weapons? Well, number one, we have the Word of God right here. You can fight with the Word of God. You have to know. If you don't know that God promises you a way out and that He is faithful, you won't be able to fight with that weapon. So you've got to have this with you. I am a huge fan of paper Bibles. My friend told me the other day, how many of you have a paper Bible this morning? All right. My friend told me the other day, there, there's no context for this in scripture, but I liked it. He said, when we go to heaven, everyone with paper Bibles is getting in first. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> and then he said, everybody with iPhone Bibles, they're getting in next. And then third, if there's any room, you Android users are getting in last. <laughs> You've got to fight with the Word of God. Don't go quote me on that. That is not in Revelation anywhere. It's like, where did you get that, Pastor? And there was a beast in that. Number two, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Filled with the Holy Spirit. I wish I had time to talk to you more about that. Number three, and this is one that I absolutely love. It's worship. When the enemy starts coming against you, one of the quickest ways to connect yourself with God and his presence is to start worshiping. Amen. You're at work. You're sitting at your desk. And the young 
receptionist comes walking through and her skirt is just a little bit short of what the dress code says, but none of the guys at work complain. So men, we are happy for her to stop and talk with us for a minute. Ladies, it's not the young receptionist. Maybe it's that young hunk that's been working outside and he's just sweaty enough to smell great, but not too much that you don't want to be around him. It's got that musk. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Struggling in your marriage at home. And suddenly here's this other person giving you a little attention. Temptation starts to set in. Set in. You have an opportunity. Put your headphones in. You're not bothering anyone. You could, inter, you, could in, you could intervene in that thought, imagination, place. And you could play something like this. You don't have to tell anybody. Tell anybody. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. You just take a minute. God, I need you to split the seat for me right now. I am struggling. The thoughts in my mind are not from you. I need you to rescue me right now, God. And we can just take a moment and get in the presence of God. Those thoughts are driven away as we submit to God and we put... The right way. How many of you think that if you could just, if I could just have the strength to stop and worship for just a moment, I might be okay. I might could push it away for just a little bit, but instead of putting on some great worship song, we put our headphones in. We play this, we play this, we play this, we play this. Who sung it? <laughs> what do you turn on? Do you really think that's going to help you? You've got a thought that just hits your brain. It's turning into imagination. So we turn on something else. Or you don't listen to Marvin Gaye, a little Beyonce, a little Brian Adams. Who do you like? I don't know who you like. We have an opportunity. We could cut it off. We could take the way out. We could, we could take the exit. God is always providing you a way out. But instead, we go the opposite way. We let it dwell. We start to sing about it a little bit. We start to imagine it. We get home. We're still thinking about it. We're seeing our wife, but we're not thinking about our wife. We're seeing our husband. We're still thinking about the guy at work that showed you a little attention. And then he doesn't show you attention. He just wants to sit down and drink some iced tea and watch the football game. What do we do? We go by ourselves, and we just start thinking some more. And the next thing you know... We're we're caught up in the temptation when you could worship your way out. What do you do? What do you even have on your iPhone? If I pulled up your iPhone right now at the top of your playlist and your favorites, what would it say? If you can't find Jesus anywhere in it, how is he going to help you when you get in a time when you need him? get off of that. I'm out of time. Number five. Number five. Get help. Get help. Listen, even Alcoholics Anonymous know that you need a sponsor, that you've got to believe in a divine power. They don't care what it is, but a divine power, and you need to get help. You know that AA was founded on the principles of God by Christian men, but they didn't want to make it where only Christians could come. They wanted it for everybody, so they took out scriptures, but it's all founded in scripture. They said you needed to rely on God, and you need people to help you walk through it. You need to join a life team. 
Your marriage is struggling and you're having problems. You need to join a life team. Your marriage is good and everything's great. Be careful that you don't fall then when you think yourself strong. You need to join a life team. Everybody needs to be a part of a life team. You're single and you're, and you're going through some things. You're trying to make good decisions. You need to find a life team. Whatever it is in your life, men, find a life team. Get involved. You need help. Here's here's what the Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces great, wonderful results. See, you need someone you can call in your life. I don't care if it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Like, hey, man, I don't know what you're doing right now. But I need one of those earnest prayers. I need some wonderful results. I am struggling, and I need you right now. But no, we want to try to cover things. But here's the problem. Sin grows best in the dark. Sin grows best when it is hidden. And so the Bible says to find someone, talk with them, and be encouraged and lift them up. Here's another thing that Paul said. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. All of us need someone that can, that can lift us up and say, let me share that burden with you. You're struggling? I'm going to walk the road with you. I know, I know, I know. We're going to make it through. And sometimes you're the person lifting up. And sometimes you're the person being lifted up. You need to get yourself involved in a life team because you might be the burden lifter and you might be the one with the burden. Get involved in a life team. Sign up today. Every one of us needs help. And this is one of the ways that we obey the law of Christ. When you fight with divine power, with God's weapons, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm closing now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, talking about Jesus here. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to understand something today. Jesus wasn't just tempted and made it through with flying colors. He suffered. What are you tempted with today? What are you tempted with? What do you struggle with? You see, it might be something known. Everyone knows about it. Everyone, you, you, your, your struggles, they've been talked about. They're all over Facebook. Everyone knows. It might be private. It might be just your family. You come here and your family puts on a good face, but you go home and there's anger and there's violence and there's abuse. And it's horrible. It might be private just to you. You've never admitted to anyone else what's going on in your life. No matter what temptation you are struggling with, it causes us to suffer. The enemy wants to beat us down. He wants to kick us. He uses our own words against us. He uses our own mistakes against us. He starts saying, you've always done this. You've always been that way. You might as well keep being that way. There's no way out for you. There's no help for you. Look at the damage you've done in your life. Look at the people you've hurt. And so he just beats us up and he beats us up with words. He said, you said this and you said that. And remember when you said that and he just beats us up with our own words and our own mistakes. Here's the good news. Jesus suffered when he was tempted, and that gives him the ability to help us when we are tempted, when we're struggling with sin. We're trying to say, no, Jesus, I love you, and I don't want to fall into this trap. I'm trying to say no, but we're being beaten up. James 4 and 7, message verse, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way that you will get on your feet. What does he say? Remember that idea of submission. Submit yourself to God. Say, God laying my life down because I need help from you. And in the process of laying our life down, God,
God says, let me lift you back up. You can overcome the temptation in your life. I want to ask you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. Are you sick of the temptation in your life and you say enough is enough is enough is enough I'm tired of fighting that same battle I'm tired of fighting that same devil you may have been in and out of it for years or even decades but you are totally done and you want out if you're watching online right now I want to pray for you would you slip up your hand so I know who who I'm talking to you say I'm done today no more sin no more sin no more temptation There you go. I see hands going up. There's more. I see hands going up everywhere now. Thank you for being bold. God's about to help you. He's about to make a way out for you. You're suffering and you're hurting and you're down and you're beat up. He's making a way for you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, for every person who raised their hand today to say, I am sick of the temptation. God, I pray that you would show yourself strong in their lives today. That you would give them the strength to stand in the face of adversity. That you would give them the strength to take the way out. The courage to to say no, to walk away. God, I pray that you would be big and strong, that the power in them would be greater than the power and the enemy that is in this world. For God, fill them with your Holy Spirit and take away all the shame, all the guilt, all the suffering. Lord, I'm praying that forgiveness would be released right now upon your people. Lord, some of us need to forgive others who have struggled with temptation and we have been bitter against them for it. They've sinned and we've held on to it. Father, some of us need to forgive ourselves. Forgive ourselves for giving in. For you, you promised to forgive us, but we hold on to it. So God, release forgiveness right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Clap your hands and rejoice in the Lord this morning. Now, I'm closing now, but here's what I want you to do. If you need to break free from some of the old temptations in your life, you're, you're forgiven, you're free, you can walk in it, but they hold on to you. You need to get signed up to be water baptized. It's a washing away of our old life our old habits, and our old hang-ups. We go down into the water, and the Bible teaches us that we are buried with Christ, but when we come out, we are resurrected with Christ, a new creation. And the old mindsets that kept you bound and kept you with trying to follow God, but with one foot back in the world, they can be washed away. Get signed up today. Don't miss an opportunity. I don't know when baptisms are coming up, but don't miss it. You need it in your life. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us today. I pray that God has touched you. Would you all stand with me? I want to bless you before we go, and then our altars will be open. If you need prayer ministry of any kind, if you need someone to pray that earnest prayer, that healing may take place in your life, we're going to be here today. We want to pray with you. Do you guys have my my blessing ready? Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And may he put his name, the name of Jesus Christ on you. And and I want you to say unto you also for me. Will you do that? God bless you. I love you. These altars are open. Come let us pray with you. I'll see you again very soon.